Hey everybody, welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. We have a great show for you today. Ellie Honig is here, and he's going to help us unpack all the craziness involving Donald Trump this week. But first, let me thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. Here's something that came in this week that I wanted to read because it's uh, you know, not exactly like pro-Ostroy. No. It's from Jeff Mende, and he writes, Love your show, but your take on Menendez is off the mark. Most reasonable people understand which party is corrupt. We need the Dems to stay as clean as possible as a contrast to Trump and his minions. Ding, ding, ding. I give that guy a cigar or whatever one gives for I, being correct. I knew you would. Okay, but here's the thing. Eight fucking years of Trump, and where has being above it all gotten us? It doesn't matter. We don't, we don't do what's immoral and unethical because Trump was awful. I'm just saying there should be two standards. That's what I said last week. I, I'm saying it again. And, and Thanks, just, Jeff. We appreciate the feedback. Just add quickly that things have even gotten worse with Menendez if you follow what happened with his wife killing someone in a car accident and then him covering it up now, it seems, and getting her a new Mercedes. I'm not saying he's not guilty. I'm not saying she's not guilty. That's all I'm you just, need to say. He needs to go. I'm just saying I want to see, I want to see George Santos go. I want to see Lauren Boebert go. And I want to see them going, Trump, 24, president again? Fuck no, because we're ethical. That's all. That's all. Okay. All right. Let's get to our two big things this week. Can you guess what the first one is? No. <laughs> is it Menendez? <laughs> no. That was, that was a half. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, it is, it's, believe it or not, kids, it's Donald Trump. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, this week he's worthy of it. That's a yes. Come on. I, I popped about 15 Advils yesterday because my head was spinning. <laughs> there is just so much Trump stuff every minute of every day. It, it is unbelievable what's happening in our country right now. Where do you want to begin to unpack today? First of all, for a guy who doesn't pay any of his lawyers, he certainly files a lot of fucking motions <laughs> and appeals. I think he pays more than Giuliani pays. Well, <laughs> well, that could be one dollar because <laughs> Giuliani pays zero. Uh, but no, seriously, Donald Trump filed motions to pause, delay, or dismiss the the hush money case in New York, the election interfering J six case in D.C., and the civil fraud case in New York. He's got no grounds for any of this stuff. You know, the, the D.C. thing where he's claiming he has presidential immunity and uh, getting back to what Nixon just said, Judge Chutkin, uh, who had ruled on a previous J6 case involving Trump, she, she had said, quote, presidents are not kings and plaintiff is not president. So he's neither still president of the United States, so he can't claim immunity, but he's not a fucking king. And uh, contrary to what Nixon said, uh, just because the fucking president did it, in office, if that's what happened, that doesn't make it legal. No, but the D.C. case, legal experts say this could really delay the case in the long run because it'll go to the appeals court because she'll definitely deny it. And then the appeals court will most likely deny it. But it would put if the Supreme Court takes cert and hears it, it 
you know, that delays the case forever. I mean, months and months and months. Well, and that's months. his strategy. That's always been his game plan. But it's you know, a good he, strategy if you want to win the presidency and then dismiss everything. Yeah. Well, look, here, here's the thing. The, the, the question is, are we concerned about him winning the nomination or are we concerned about him winning the election? Both. Well, yes, we are. We are concerned about both, but there's a reality to both. The reality is, even though I'm not convinced of it yet, it, it looks like the, you know, the, the, the nomination could be a, a shoe, at least on paper right now. But I, I don't know how that would sw swing, you know, independence or sit there going, you know what, if he was actually convicted uh, by today, I wouldn't have voted for him. But the fact that he's just on bail on 91 felony counts, I'll, I'll vote for him. Like, I, I don't see that delay changing the needle with the, with the general election. Might, might help him a little bit with the, with the nomination. Yeah, I just think that there's a lot of other factors. There's the immigration issues that our Democrats are not doing well with. There's uh, Menendez, who's going to be there, and they're going to be able to point to uh, corrupt Menendez, who's never left. There's going to be a lot of issues. They're going to throw up a lot of hay, and, um, you know, that he, he could win. Yeah, well, the flip side to that is that, yes, there are going to be a lot of issues and a lot of moving parts that can, can serve to affect the exact opposite of what you're talking about. Sure. To go Abortion over. is certainly not in his favor. Or just tr Trump's nonstop in self-incrimination. And in, in, in D.C., he might delay it, but maybe in New York, it's, this is all put to bed by the election. And he's, it, and he's a convicted, you know, fraudster, whatever. I, by election, Jim Jordan will mm -hmm. have probably overseen multiple impeachment hearings of Joe Biden. So they'll be making it seem like Joe Biden is just as bad as Trump. And Hunter Biden will have been uh, indicted probably for tax charges and okay. he'll probably be in jail. And they're, they're going to make all of these things seem like it equalizes the problem. And they're going to make all fun of, of is, the age of Joe Biden. All endlessly. of that is possible, uh, but unlikely. The more likely scenario. Well, all those things are probably going to happen. It's just how much they affect the election. The, the more likely scenario to me is that Jim Jordan, if he becomes speaker, is going to further throw the House in a state of chaos further alienate independence, further alienate suburban women and all the people they need to not just win the White House, but to keep the, the House. So there's possible and there's probable. You're raising possible. I'm saying probable. If you think Kevin McCarthy fucked things over for Republicans this week, wait till Speaker Jordan gets in there. If it's Speaker Jordan or maybe it's going to be Speaker Trump. So now, now oh, play this right. out. A, uh, even better. I tweeted to Marjorie Taylor Greene yesterday, literally begging her, begging her, please, please make Trump speaker. That would cement it. Because you look at the election being a year from now, what happens in the House could affect what happens in the presidential election. Voters get turned sure. off, they stay home. If so, yes, it's foolish, as we libtards know, to rule out anything when it comes to these people. But the likelihood is that these next 12 months are going to be holy fucking hell for Donald Trump. Holy fucking hell for the Republicans. And that is not good in terms of getting independents off the couch to go vote for. There's truth to that, but there's also truth to gas prices going up substantially and food prices still not low. And uh, all the other issues around immigration that are really festering. But 
these are these to me are micro issues. The people they need, and this is again the to me the most important thing you have to focus on. Who does either side need to get to the polls on election? It's not the magas, and it's not the tree huggers. It's the independents who are like eh. those people. Just like in 2020 and 2022, when it came to saying, "Hmm, gas prices are high, food prices are high, and therefore I." should put a democracy raping dictator wannabe in the Oval Office and give huge control of Congress to Republicans. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. So the people that they need aren't going to put these fuckers back in power over 399 gas. I just don't see it. Maybe I'm naive, but I just don't see that happening. We hope. It's not big enough. There's macro, there's micro. The macro is so overwhelming. And every trend politically in the last few years has resulted in voters, the independent voters, focusing on that macro, democracy, my personal civil rights, things like that. They're smart enough not to, to throw this country into complete chaos because they're paying more. Than we didn't see that. We haven't seen that yet. And we've lived through much worse. Inflation was 10%. Unemployment was... Sure. 9%, 10%. We still saw Democrats win almost every election. It's a long game. It's a year. Anything can happen. And, you know, we really can't predict, you know, let's see how it plays out. And Trump could fall ill. One never knows. All right, let's move on to um, Kevin McCarthy. On this vote, the yeas are 216. The nays are 210. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. Why would you want a job so much, fight so hard, knowing that you ain't going to have it very long? I really think that he thought that he could hold it together. I don't think that someone of that statue takes that job without, without hubris. And he, I think that he was like, you know what? I can control the crazies. I get them. Mm -hmm. I'm amazing. I will be powerful and I will hold this coalition of nut jobs together. You're right. And and that's a really great point you made because literally I saw him speak to reporters either the morning of or the day before he was ousted. And he literally said that. He goes, oh, you people always underestimate me. I don't even me. watch it. 15 <laughs> votes. 15 votes. And guess what? I won. <laughs> And yeah. and guess what? I've kept it together. And guess what? And guess what? And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do this too. I mean, literally, that's what he said. You have to so believe. You, so you're, you're probably yeah. right. I think the thing that stands out about Kevin McCarthy is that mm -hmm. he's such a liar. He lies constantly and doesn't care about anything. Um, I thought my favorite part was when he lost and blamed the Democrats. Yeah, but, that was rich. Yeah, he blamed <laughs> the Democrats for the shutdown. No, excuse me, dude. They bailed your ass out. And then yeah. on top of that, that they stayed as a coalition. Well, Hakeem Jeffries, guy masterfully kept it together. Yes. And, but but Democrats were saying, like, excuse me, we have a speaker and his name is Hakeem Jeffries. So if we're going to vote, we're voting for him. Yeah. Why is the expectation that we always have to be the bigger ones? Like, you know what? We're going to put this partisan toxicity aside and we Democrats, we will vote for Kevin McCarthy and save him. Forget that he blamed J6 on us recently. 
Forget that he blamed the shutdown on us. Forget that he reneged on the May two-year budget deal. Let's we'll forget it all. We'll forget it all because we don't want to be I, like them. But it's your problem. Fix it. We, we're not fixing your problem. And why? Because in 13 months, there's going to be an election. And you handed us a gift this week. The biggest gift ever. Uh, and you're right. There is a possibility that all these ridiculous distractions will backfire. It may, very well maybe. Or, it, I mean, like, that's the thing. You just don't know. Well, but let's, but let's just look at the reality of things in terms of stats. In 2022, there was a midterm election. They narrowly took control of the House. They thought they were going to win 40 to 60 seats. They were delusional. And why did they win only four seats? Because hardly anyone believed them. And in that year, they've done nothing, right? They've supported a guy who's completely unpopular overall with the people they need to put them in power, and he is dragging them down. They have opened up all these investigations and done nothing. They've fired their speaker. We're without a speaker of the house. It's chaos. So explain to me how they get more people to vote for them and explain how it's not completely likely that they're going to lose control given what is going down this year. So I, I'm pretty confident that Democrats, Hakeem, they're just sitting back going, do your thing, guys, and we'll see you in November. We'll see. And so far, I mean, if this was Vegas, who the fuck would bet on Republicans in 24? My money's on Dems, baby. Three states. <laughs> we, we Three have to just... states. We're going to see what happens. I mean, I think that the Republicans in certain districts, like in upstate New York, have a number of seats that they could lose, but also there's potential seats that they could gain because of the issue with immigration. Um, and they might lose a Republican seat because of other issues. But, right. but that's, that's going to maybe flip the House. It's going to be New York. So um, it, it's, it, it's a crapshoot because, to, again, to me, and I'm not discounting what you're saying, I'm just saying to me that's a micro argument. But there's no denying the factual shit they are doing. What did they do the minute they got rid of McCarthy? They kicked Pelosi and Hoyer out of their hideaway office. What could be a higher priority? So when you're Nothing. an independent voter, when you're a suburban mom sitting back and you are dealing with your kid about bullying and how to be a person and how to be compassionate, all the reasons why they didn't put Trump back in office, all the reasons why they didn't give them 40 to 60 wins in the house. And they sit there and they go, this little fucker with a bow tie. First thing, first fucking thing he does in 90, within 90 minutes. Kicks them out of office. No. That's who you're going to put back no. in power in I, 2024? No, no way. I don't. That's not how That's it, macro. That's macro. That's not how it's viewed. It's viewed right. as strength, not as bullying. Not by the people they I need. I disagree. The people, the they, people they, need, they need, some of them will see that in the news and most won't because they're busy taking their kid to school and paying too much for gas. By the way, never trust anyone with a bow tie. <laughs> except Paul Begala. <laughs> but I mean- We love you, Paul. And your the, bow ties. <laughs> the one vote to vacate was just insane. And he paid the price for allowing that to be in his original deal. Yeah. Yep. Well, they are on a path to destroy democracy. What's the best way to destroy democracy is to give one person the power to begin the process of kicking out the House Speaker, <clears throat> largely on personal vendetta issues. Just a point of note, when he blamed the Democrats for this, that rule applied to the entire house at any time a democrat could have made a motion to vacate they never did so it, it's just insane that that deal was made and it, to my first thing i said when we started talking about mccarthy it's like matt gates was up his ass since january how did he not know depending on matt gates to do the right thing is not a good strategy yeah well it is crazy and i gotta say as you know as a junkie it, it's 
exciting to watch from the perspective of the system so far keeps being held up. That's a good point. And when the system is held up, eventually, it's like a, it's like watching a forest fire, right? We've been watching a forest fire for the last eight years, and we kind of know that eventually forest fire is going to be put out. For a while, there's going to be a lot of black, burnt trees, and it's going to be ugly, but eventually shit starts to grow again, and the forest looks beautiful. That's how I look at this. I do believe it's going to end soon. Trump is going to end. Republicans are going to end. This craziness is going to end. And we will get back to some kind of order. Maybe I'm, I'm naive. I don't know. But it's just like, let them be. Remember, let Trump be Trump. Well, this is let Republicans be Republicans. And look what happens, right? Let's go to winners and losers. My winner, fair redistricting. A panel of three federal judges chose a new Alabama congressional map that maintains a black majority district in the state and establishes another near black majority district that could flip a House seat for Democrats in 2024. My loser, Matt Gates and his gang. Booyah. Nothing else to say. My winner is Narjas Mohammed, the jailed Iranian activist that was just awarded the Nobel Peace Prize this morning, and she has been fighting against oppression around the world and obviously in Iran, and she deserved the Peace Prize. My loser, unfortunately, is Ukraine. The longer the GOP has a complete house in disorder, the longer they don't get funding they need and people are dying because of it. It's a catastrophe. My winner, Democrats, who have been given an enormous gift this week. My loser, McCarthy, the embodiment of careful what you wish for. All right, that brings us to our weekly rant. In 2022, Republicans implored voters to put them back in power, to give them control of Congress. They ran on the issues of crime, border control, fiscal responsibility, and restoring a general order to governing, upended by what they claimed was an out-of-control, chaotic Democratic leadership. Thankfully, the Senate stayed with Democrats, but we lost the House, and not by the overhyped red wave of 40 to 60 seats, as I mentioned before, but by a measly four seats. Disappointing nonetheless. Cut to October 2023. Kevin McCarthy's been ousted as House Speaker. The House is currently without a Speaker. And the House is in a real state of chaos, not the imaginary one when Dems were in charge. And next week, we're going to likely see a bloody battle for the Speakership between the many forces of evil vying for this utterly thankless job rendered impotent by Matt Gates and the crazy caucus by the ongoing motion to vacate threat, which took McCarthy down. Making the shit show even more chaotic is Donald Trump, who's never failed to inject himself into anything and everything. He's just endorsed his chief congressional ass-kisser, Jim Jordan, for speaker. And in today's ethically and morally bankrupt GOP, the endorsement from a corrupt, treasonous, racist, rapist, sociopath is not just welcomed, it's highly coveted and a badge of fucking honor. I imagine with great dismay how the rest of the world must be viewing the United States right now, divided, dysfunctional, in complete disarray. In the past couple of years, America has experienced many truly unbelievable firsts. A twice-impeached president, a four-time indicted former president, three U.S. military branches operating without a leader, a front-runner out on bail in four jurisdictions, a fired House Speaker, that is what happens when you give control of anything to Republicans. Okay, let's bring on Ellie Honig. He's an attorney and CNN senior legal analyst and the best-selling author of Hatchet Man, 
and the recently released Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. He's a former assistant United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, and he also hosts podcasts and writes for Cafe and Vox Media. Ellie, welcome into the back room. Andy, it's great to be with you. I, I'm not exactly keeping count, but I think this might be my fifth appearance. And if so, I want a robe like you, they give on Saturday Night Live. We, it's funny you say that. We should start thinking about the robe giveaway because I think you are now in the lead. If you do get a robe made, I will wear it and Instagram myself wearing my Andy Ostroy five timers. <laughs> that actually sounds kind of weird. My but Andy but I have to ask timers. you, if I made you a robe, would I put the name Ellie Honig on it or Rudy Giuliani? No, no, no. Ha! Oh, did you see that last night? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Listen, this was this was hilarious. So, so for those who, who don't know what we're talking about, I was all with Caitlin Collins, who is the world's sharpest, like she's a wonderful person, most unflappable human being you've ever seen. She has stood toe-to-toe with Donald Trump. And at the end of the segment, which was about Rudy Giuliani, she was saying that the other guest was Ken Friedman, who's a reporter. She said, she just sort of, you know, the way you typically sign off mm-hmm. is you say guest A, guest B, thank you for joining us. She goes, Ken Friedman, Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> and I went, one B? And she's, she just, on air, she laughed, and I was like, I forgive you, I'm so sorry. She's like, I, she was apologizing. I said, oh, please, you're forgiven. But she owes me a drink, she knows. I bet in the eight years of all the Trump craziness, the one thing you never, ever, ever thought would happen is that you would be called Rudy Giuliani. Well, for those of you, I know this is an audio medium, for those of you who um, don't know me. I do look really, really like Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, and you actually have, I mean, I gotta, I don't want to embarrass you, but you actually have some hair dye dripping down your head right now. I do, I do, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I did say to Caitlin, it, it's funny because I don't know him, I've never met him, but, you know, I started at the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Southern District of New York, in 2004, early 2004. Now, Rudy, this is where Rudy sort of became a prominent figure. He was the U.S. Attorney in the 80s for that very same office. His portrait's on the wall there. And Rudy was, regardless of your political leanings, really, he was a revered figure. He mm-hmm. was. I, we were proud that he had once run this office. And again, you got to remember, this is two and change years after 9-11, so he's sort of riding this... Um, you know, wave of popularity and respect. He'd been Times Man of the Year or whatever it was. And just to see what's happened, with, not, not with, I don't want to say what's happened to this guy. What he's done to himself is really, I, I want to say I feel sorry for him, but I don't because of the, of the evil that he has imposed on other people mm-hmm. and on this country. It's one thing when a person goes through hard times and suffers. I, I, I definitely feel sympathy for that. But it's another thing when they exact a cost on other individuals and on all of us. And for that reason, I guess I, I, I don't know what, what the right word is. It's sorrowful to watch it, but I don't feel pity for him because he's done it himself. It's human to feel emotion. If we weren't able to feel compassion and empathy for people, we wouldn't be human. But I think the difference is, you know, Trump is this, Rudy yeah. is that. Like, they don't deserve it. Right. Whatever the cause is, you know, obviously, in addition, all the, you know, he was a driving force, really mind if you think about it, both impeached. He was the guy who got in Trump's ear like, hey, you should be shaking down Zelensky to try to have him indict the Biden, the Bi- or, you know, investigate the Bidens. But Rudy, are, of course, was also a driving force behind what ended up being January 6th. But just just think of this. Think of those two election workers down in Georgia, Ruby Moss, Shea Freeman, right? Mm-hmm. These women are civil servants. They're public servants. They're doing their job. And Rudy attacks them. Donald Trump, of course, jumps right on the bandwagon, calls them criminals, says they're mm-hmm. drug dealers. I mean, these women, not only 
they do nothing of the sort, that they're, they're the type of people we should be admiring and thanking for what they do. It's just, and, and they didn't go, look, if you go into politics, if you go into media, like me, if you're, okay, fine, you're fair game. These women didn't ask for any of this. They didn't want to be mixing it up with Rudy. And it's disgusting. They've now sued him for defamation. And he's essentially conceded legally that he's not going to contest right. whether he defamed them or not. So um, I think they're entitled to a, a, a serious verdict against it. But when I see that kind of stuff, my, my sympathy, to me, there's there's a line where you cross where whatever's happening to you, cognitively or otherwise, when you are attacking and harming innocent people mm -hmm. that that. Sure. Well, it's like what, he's mirroring Trump. I mean, I think the most unconscionable thing Trump has ever done is what he just said about Mark Milley, calling him a traitor and saying he should be executed. He is actually the opposite of a traitor. He has spent his entire life defending this country, defending democracy, defending the freedoms that you and I and everybody else, including Donald Trump, enjoy every day. And this is a guy who's a five deferment draft dodger, a coward, and he's impugning the character and and patriotism how about, how about the how about the, the gold star family sure, right uh, uh mr khan i think it was who spoke at the uh at the at the convention i mean yeah that th this is that i think we hit on inadvertently stumbled into this this vein though but the to me it's like if donald trump wants to go after chuck schumer or even prosecutors or people who put themselves in the public eye in the public view that's okay you can fight back that's mm -hmm. i i, I I don't, I don't love it, but to me, that's fair play. Mm -hmm. um, but when you go after innocent people, people who serve this country, people who don't seek the limelight, people who have not put themselves in front of a TV camera or in a elected position, that that's a different line that, that I think we ought to call out. Yeah, well, the clip resurfaced this week of uh, Trump. When I think he was on The View saying, I like people who don't get captured. Yeah. 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 And, and you, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, but you, you watch I this and you're like, real. where yeah. does he get the gall? Someone who's who yeah. dodged the draft. But let's stick with Giuliani for a second, because yeah. there's something that was discussed about his drinking and the fact that Special Counsel Jack Smith is looking into this. And this is a really interesting angle to the whole story. Explain it for us. So there is a defense in criminal law called advice of counsel, which basically would be, and, and Sam Bankman-Fried's actually using a, a variation of this right now in his fraud trial, the crypto fraud trial. But if, if any person can show, the reason I did this was my attorney blessed it. My attorney, I ran it by my attorney. I'm, a, I'm entitled to uh, rely on an attorney's advice. It's not limitless. The advice can't be ridiculous. A, an attorney can't tell you it's okay to kill someone or rob somebody or whatever. Um, and, you know, there has to be an actual belief in what the attorney is telling you. And you can't be, you know, there's a lot of conditions on it. But generally speaking, there is this thing called the advice of counsel defense. And I think what Jack Smith doing, it appears, is trying to establish, A, I think he's going to argue it's ridiculous for Trump to listen to Rudy in the first place. Maybe it's not even clear Rudy was serving as his attorney at the time. But when Rudy's telling him, you won the election, you should go out there and claim victory. I mean, how would Rudy know this? They're, they're getting results in the same as anyone else. Um, but I think the point is, if he's visibly drunk or whatever the word is for, you can smell it. <laughs> I don't know what the word is for that. Um, olfactorily drunk mm -hmm. um to the point where jason miller who's a trump loyalist right. can sense it and he testified about it in the january 6th tweet jason miller said it, it seemed to me rudy had been drinking a and then that makes it all the more unreasonable and ridiculous to quote unquote rely on his advice i think that's the angle jack smith's taking here 
And so he just needs to have more corroborating witnesses aside from Miller to prove that point. I mean, how do you prove that? Yeah, um, I mean, you can prove something with testimony from one witness if, right. if the jury credits that witness. Right. So it may be something that he tries to build out. You know, I, I presume he'll be calling as witnesses a lot of people who are in the room that night. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not sure. It's one of these things as a prosecutor where you have to think about, like, it's a good point, but it, we don't want to overplay it. We don't want to put too much into it. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's a point you try to develop out and see if you can in a way that's not too much of a detour for your case in chief. Do you think it signals um, that he's a little worried about the case, that he needs this? Jack Smith? Yeah. No, no. Uh, I, I think it signals that he's doing his diligence. He's mm -hmm. doing what you do as a prosecutor. You try to run down every angle, run down every lead, cut off every defense, anticipate every defense. So, no, I don't think it signals a, a nervousness. I don't believe Jack Smith has nervousness about his case. I mean, you should have a healthy, you should, as a prosecutor, always be looking for your own weaknesses. I right. mean, it, it's a big mistake if you just think, oh, we've got a great case. We're just going to roll over. And you always have to be saying, what's the other guy going to say? Right. Uh, but I'm not sensing any real weakness in either of Jack Smith's cases. I think they're both strong factually. I think, you know, to me, the conundrum for Jack Smith is the stronger, more straightforward, more obvious case is the Mar-a-Lago documents case. Right. But the jury pool there in Southern Florida is going to be a mixed bag for Jack Smith. He's mm. going to have there's no way to avoid having multiple Trump voters on the jury. Now, someone voted for Trump doesn't necessarily mean they're going to vote to acquit him. Uh, they will be selected out. They will try to be vetted out for bias. And judges will, of course, over and over instruct the jury you're not to bring your personal beliefs into this courtroom. But you can bet any amount of money Donald Trump wants his voters in that box and Jack Smith doesn't want his voters in the box. On the flip side, the D.C. case to me is a bit more debatable. It's it's an unusual crime. It's harder to explain to a jury. Um, but that jury is going to be the best possible jury pull for Jack Smith. I mean, Donald Trump got 5.3% of the vote in D.C. I mean, 94 and change percent of right. D.C. residents don't like the guy. So, um you know, as it currently stands, I believe Jack Smith has decided he wants to try. I mean, he he is trying that case first, as it currently stands. The January 6th case is scheduled for March. The Mar-a-Lago case is scheduled for May. Um, I think he wants to get the conviction in place from D.C. And then it wouldn't mm -hmm. surprise me if he doesn't try the other one, if he gets his one conviction. But mm -hmm. we'll see. So let's talk I mean, before the election. Let's talk about New York. We just finished day three of Trump's uh, civil fraud trial. What's your mm -hmm. biggest takeaway so far? What, what, what observations have you made? My biggest observation is it's already over. I mean, the judge has already ruled uh, before the trial started in favor of the AG and against Donald Trump on count one, the repetitive and persistent fraud count or, or cause of action. The judge issued a 35 page detailed ruling basically saying, sure, there's room for some subjectivity, some variance in in how you value a real estate asset. People can differ by 5, 10, 20 percent. But here we're seeing valuations 20, 25 times higher than the assessed value by Trump. And given that he's already ruled for Trump on the first cause of action. Now, there's six other causes of action. The main difference is those other causes of action are going to require some showing of what we call materiality, meaning some showing that somebody relied on this and lost money as a result. One of Trump's defenses, which does not apply to count one, which is already ruled, but, but it does apply to the other ones, is, well, nobody really lost money. The banks all made their loans. They got repaid by mm -hmm. me with interest. They actually profited off of this. And and that's a fair argument. I don't, it's not 
it's not enough to defeat count one. I do think that's a reason why, if, if people are looking at this thing, why is this not a criminal case? Why? Well, I would, why I did I ask you that? Yeah. Because SDNY seems to, you know, a couple of years ago deemed yep. that it wasn't worth pr- prosecuting this case. But if fraud was so prevalent, why yep. aren't they? Why isn't this I not think, a criminal case in New York? And it's it's important to know the feds passed on this, DOJ, SDNY. Letitia James passed on pursuing this as a criminal case. She's chosen to bring this as a civil case with a lower burden of proof. The DA, the Manhattan DA, Cy Vance, passed on this case. A lot of people, I think, wanted to flex here, but mm. nobody really wanted to go all the way, including Letitia James. Civil is important. There's going to be real consequences here, but it's not criminal. And I think the reason is probably, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I'm putting myself back in prosecutor mindset, is that the case does lack jury appeal. Technically, you can still bring the case, but it's kind of hard to say to a jury, he committed massive fraud. And you know what happened to his victims? They got repaid and they made profits. But that's just luck. But that's just luck and faith. That's not a reason to excuse a a breaking of the law. No, I I, I get you. But but this stuff matters. You have to think about this as a prosecutor. I mean, you know, prosecutors, it's not the job to just go, well, does it meet the technical requirements of the law? It's very different. It's a very different scenario. For example, if Donald Trump was um, was defraud, was was using these inflated real estate values to solicit. Um, investments from individuals, from private folks, from individual investors, and then right. making off with their money. That's very different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here he's using those inflated dollar signs to get loans from very sophisticated lenders, repaying them with interest. You're, you're right that prosecutors do have to think about how is something going to play with the jury. They can't just be automatons and say, well, technical elements are met, therefore I'm going to charge it criminally, because ultimately you have to cash that check. You have to no pun intended. Right. You have to stand in front of a jury and get 12 of them to convict beyond a reasonable doubt. And it would have been very different if Trump lied to, let's say, individuals, unsophisticated individuals or, or sophisticated individuals, said, my property is worth billions of dollars, therefore I want you to invest with me, and then made off with the money and they were out of pocket, the victims. That's very different than here because here, again, it's technically not really a defense. But your victims are very sophisticated. You know, Deutsche Bank, they know what they're doing. Mm. Very sophisticated parties who um, chose to make large loans, got repaid with interest. They profit off of these loans. Now, man, you know, they probably would have or maybe would have given them different rates or made the capital available to other borrowers. But but I think that, look, there's a reason why, Andy, the feds, the state and the DA all decided not to charge this criminally. Right. And. That, that's got to be the reason why we, we, we can differ on it. But, you know, it's listen, you know, it, I, I'll, let me use Bonnie Willis as an example here. She brought this indictment against Trump and everyone went, wow, what a what a massive indictment. It's so long. There's so many people in it. There's so many pages here. There's 161 acts. That's like writing the billion dollar check. Now she's got to cash it. Right. And it's a lot more difficult to cash it than to write it. And And you have to think ahead to that. Can I cash this check here? Can I? turn this indictment into an actual conviction. What I'm hearing you say is, just like 30 years ago with the OJ trial, the jury doesn't always do the right thing. Well, let me just say, you, you can look at that either way, because people also look at the jury through through a, a positive lens mm-hmm. of they are a check, a bulwark against prosecutorial power or prosecutorial overreach. I actually had a personal experience with this. When, when I tried, I tried, when I was a prosecutor, John Gotti Jr., Mm-hmm. And it was the fourth time he was tried. He was tried when I was just starting out. I had nothing to do with it. But my office had tried him three times 
each time the jury hung. Mm -hmm. And then finally, my office dismissed it. Fast forward five years, he gets charged in Florida. The case gets moved to New York. I try the case. And the jury hung, 6-6. Mm -hmm. And we got to talk to the jury jurors afterwards, which you don't always get to do. And the jurors who were against us said, well, oh, no, you guys totally proved his guilt. He's obviously guilty, but you can't try a guy four times. That's not fair. So we went in to talk to the judge and the judge was a very good judge. He's been on the bench for a long time. He was, he, he knew we proved our case. Um, but he said, you know, sometimes the jury is a check on you all as prosecutors, you have mm -hmm. huge power, but this is, this is the way it works. But, but my bottom line, having been in front of many juries is jurors are human beings. And as much as we tell them and judges tell them you are to just sort of put aside all your feelings and emotions. They are judging everything that happens in the courtroom. Do I like this guy? Do I not like this guy? Do I find him scary? Do I find him sympathetic? Why do you think defendants dress in a suit, even if they're in prison? And why we're okay with that? Because we don't want them being seen as subhuman. Yeah. So let me ask you about the gag order and whether Trump is violating it or not in New York, whether or not there'll be one in D.C. And if in New York, it's broadened. And ultimately, the big question is, if he violates a gag order, what is ultimately going to happen to him? So the judge in the New York civil case, Judge Engeron, issued a very limited gag order here where he said to Trump, you're not to speak about my staff publicly because Trump made this ridiculous public statement. He, uh, he issued a, a social media post or whatever saying that one of the judge's clerks was suggesting in some sort of relationship with Chuck Schumer, it's utterly preposterous. And the judge rightly said, they're off limits. You are not to talk about my staff. Um, the judge, I think correctly, made it a narrow ruling. He, he did not say, you're not to speak about me, the judge, you're not to speak about the AG. Um, that may be a next step. All these judges, they think, are wrestling with the question of, how do we put some restriction on Trump, um, but not unduly restrain him from speaking. I mean, here's the thing we got to keep in mind. This is not about enforcing manners. This You don't issue a gag order to make sure someone's not being mean. You're allowed to be mean. You're allowed to criticize your judge. You're allowed to criticize your prosecutor. First Amendment rights. Where I draw the line is you can't make statements that are likely to intimidate witnesses, jurors, or staff. You can't make statements that are threats or likely to incite harm against those people. Mm. But look, I think DOJ has actually got to toughen up a little bit here. They went to the judge in their case, and this is going to be decided within the next few days. They asked for a gag order preventing Donald Trump from making, and I quote, disparaging or inflammatory comments about anyone having to do with anything in the case. Sorry, DOJ, you're, you're allowed to be disparaged. You need to get thicker skin here. And I think the judge is going to issue some sort of gag order in the D.C. case, federal case, but not nearly as broad as DOJ is asking for. So I do think as much as Trump, it's it's wild to watch him. He says things that are offensive, outrageous, ridiculous at some points over the line. But also, I don't, you know, judges and prosecutors need to, to some extent to just deal with it. Well, to your point, it's OK to say Jack Smith is overreaching. He may be politically motivated. But there has to be some line drawn where if Trump yeah. calls him a deranged monster who looks like a crackhead, those are direct quotes. That seems like an easy line to draw, no? Obviously, those are over-the-top, ridiculous, offensive things to say. But where, how would you articulate the line? Like, what line does that cross other than a line of good taste? Ad hominem attacks. Okay, but ad hom. why not? Why can't you make an ad hominem attack on the prosecutor? Why can't you say, Ellie Honig is my prosecutor. This guy's an absolute idiot. Because why can't you say that? Why I don't know if this could be proven, but maybe the case is made that when he's done that before, 
his MAGA brainwashed cultists go out and actually commit acts of violence. Okay, so now, right, now- Ca- cause and effect, simple place. cause and effect. So we're at the same place. I think, I think to me that the line is not insults or, or ad hominem, that's okay in some instances, not against witnesses, not against vulnerable people, not against victims, witnesses, mm-hmm. jurors, but against the prosecutor and judge. But to me, where the line gets crossed, and it's hard to define this, but is where the insults cross over from being insults to likely to incite harm, violence, threats, that kind of thing. So I do think Trump can say, again, I'll use myself. Look at Ellie Honig. This guy's an idiot. He looks stupid. Um, He has a dumb name. You know, whatever. But but he's he's got one hell of a bathrobe. He does. Exactly. (laughs) He has a great bathrobe collection. Um, (laughs) But if it's likely to incite some sort of, you know, threats against me, and and that's what all these judges, the other thing these judges are wrestling with is, how are they going to enforce these Well, that's categories? the last question I wanted to ask you is, what, yeah. what, so what happened? We know he's going to violate, ultimately going to violate everything because he's, he's controlled yeah. by his id 24-7. He's going to lash well, out. Well, in, in, let's look at the criminal context because there's more a judge can do there. You can impose monetary fines, mm-hmm. and, and I think judges will do that. And, you know, maybe that'll hurt to some extent, but they're not going to find him enough that he would probably care. I mean, I don't think, you know— um, in ordinary circumstances, you could tighten up bail restrictions. Let's remember, in the criminal cases, he's out on bail. He's out on the good graces of the court. So right. you could impose home confinement or other restrictions. And in extreme cases, you could lock someone up. People do get locked up while they're on bail. If they vi- Look at Sam Bankman-Fried. He was out on bail. He violated his conditions. He basically tampered with a witness, and they threw him in. Um, but I think Trump knows, or I think Trump's calculated, that ultimately a judge may find me or or give me a dressing down. But ultimately, I think in Trump's mind, there's no way a judge is going to lock me up for speaking out during while I'm on bail. And in Trump's mind, maybe even if that happens, that could even ultimately be to his benefit, could yeah. rally support in his favor. So that's the calculation I think he's made. Well, when you listen to Trump talk about two sets of rules, like what that kind of smacks of is that there are, there are two sets of rules, one for him and one for everybody else. And it you know, whether he's running for president or not shouldn't matter. If he breaks the law, if he violates an order of the court, I mean, there's got to be a line that's drawn. Like, no matter who you are, no one is above the law. So it gets us back to that same question we keep asking over and over again. Is it, is, is it that nobody's above the law or is he given special treatment? So, but anyway, Ellie, thanks so much for coming on again. We'll work on that bathrobe thing. And uh, we, look, we look forward to <laughs> the next- I'm ready for you. <laughs> we look forward to the next one. I'm a size medium. <laughs> Okay. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, Andy. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards and have a great week.